Welcome to Carrying Wayward, a supernatural podcast for fans who aren't ready to let go and newcomers to the series who are ready to jump in. I'm Drew Shulman. And I'm Marie Vigourou. Today we have a very special episode for you and we've invited a bunch of our friends in the supernatural fandom to come and talk about one of my personal favorite episodes in the series, The Man Who Would Be King. Let's get this show on the road. Because we're a lot more people on this Zoom call than we're used to, like Drew and I are kind of used to just having the two of us, uh, the first thing I'd like to do is to do a quick roundtable of like who's here and what their relationship is to the Supernatural fandom. Um, so I'm going to get started to like, I'm going to get started. I'm Mary. I use uh, she, her, and they, them pronouns, and I co-host this podcast, Carrying Wayward, with uh, Drew, Rochelle, and I... We all started this in November 2020 after the final episode of the series aired. So, yeah, that's me. Uh, Katie, would you like to go next? Sure. Yep. Um, I'm Katie. I'm also Nerdy Nerdenstein on AO3 or Dusty Elkanen on Twitter. I use she, her pronouns. Um, I have a podcast called Making It Up As We Go, where I do audiobooks for Dusty L fanfic. I also co-host with Mary, the Gentleman Pirates Library. Uh, which is a podcast about Our Flag Means Death. Mm. Yes, I do love our podcast. <laughs> I can't wait to get back. I know, me too. Soon, Excited. season two. <laughs> yes. Catherine. Hi, um, I'm Catherine, and I'm uh, the co-host of The Fangirl Business with the lovely Krisha, who um, is an amazing human, and I love her very much. Um, we started uh, season 15 live podcast as it was airing and it, we did it in response to the fandom reaction to comic-con and how nervous people were after that first big event that was like the first last thing mm -hmm. and then we podcasted that whole season and we're currently wrapping up a series on the winchesters and you can find us at the fangirl biz that's b-i-z or b-i-z um on twitter <laughs> love the canadianness that's coming out thank you thank you <laughs> thanks Catherine. jj uh hi everyone uh I'm JJ, or at JJBWayWatch uh, on TikTok and Twitter. I do not have a podcast, uh, so it's just me, a person on the internet. Um, I started watching Supernatural in January 2021 uh, because it took over my For You page, and I wanted to be educated on when discussing certain topics that were important on my life. So I started watching and documenting my watch on TikTok, because I needed something to keep me motivated and watching and like you have to keep posting and watching and doing that. And uh, yeah, that's that's how I found it and found the SPN family. Mm -hmm. Yeah, your, your, your TikToks were so like, in, I know that you don't really do them about Supernatural anymore, but like you, they were so <laughs> inspirational for me and like always so thought provoking. So thanks for doing that. I. Th 
thank you thank you um yeah i i did i i came to a stop on like actively posting episode reactions in season seven and then i started just doing like overarching thoughts for a little while mm -hmm. um and then it became a lot there was there, there was there was a lot of feelings that people had sometimes great feelings and positive feelings and thought-provoking feelings and also not so great so yeah uh, I, you know, I, every now and then I, I throw, I come back to start posting. And I also have my series where I pretend to be Misha Collins's uh, original <laughs> assistant, yes. um, which is always fun. And always, uh, I have a couple of plans for that since uh, Gotham Knights is now wrapping up. I, I have some, pulling out some old stage makeup tricks of mine to Ooh. maybe do something fun things. So. Okay, I am nice. so excited about this. Thank you so much for letting us know. That's that's really exciting. Sneak peek. Very <laughs> sneaky. <laughs> Very sneaky. I love it. KJ. Um, yeah, I'm KJ. I'm the host of Supernatural Opinions. Uh, we started recapping Supernatural back in July of 2021 um, on Jared's birthday, which was not intentional. just kind of <laughs> happened. <laughs> Uh, I said, let's pick a Monday, uh, but that was the Monday. <laughs> uh, and my pronouns are they and she, and um, we're about at the end of season three, early season four at the moment. Um, and then we also do kind of like overarching discussion episodes where we can talk about any seasons and any episodes so that, you know, I don't have to hold all my feelings in about cast till we get to season four. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and, and your your co-hosts are really quite lovely. We recorded an episode. Um, I well, you know, you 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 invited me on on your podcast a few a few months ago, and we recorded an episode about like bones and supernatural. And I thought that that was such a fun discussion. Thank you so much for having me on there. <laughs> it was so fun to have you. And both Moya and I started rewatching Bones since we recorded yes. that. So. <laughs> a must, a must, a yearly rewatch. And Drew, what about you? How about you close us off here? Oh, I am Drew. I am the other third of the uh, Carrying Wayward family with the producer, Rochelle, who will be reviewing this uh, very thoroughly, <laughs> I'm sure, when it's done. Um, I started watching the show right around the time we started releasing episodes, pretty much the week before, <laughs> in November of 2020, yeah. despite being a fan of two-thirds of Super Hulock. Supernatural, while I tried to start it a little bit when it first aired, didn't keep me on. Uh, some of you might recall uh, the opening of season five where I very plainly stated where I stopped watching initially. But uh, I'm so happy to be back in this fandom or to really properly join it. Uh, and for anyone who's catching up, I am up to literally this episode, The Man Who Would Be King. I have not seen the last two episodes of season six. I am sorry. <laughs> As some people have voiced opinions it's okay i will likely be binging both them in the next day uh literally tonight probably um and my pronouns are he him that's me in a nutshell awesome thank you so much thanks everyone for for introducing yourselves so what we're going to be doing today is we're going to be talking specifically about the man who would be king and also the role of the man who would be king not only like within the season of season six but also like 
how it changes everything, right, that we've seen up until this moment. Um, so I thought that we could start off with a little bit of just basic information. This episode was written and directed by Ben Edlund, which is unusual for Supernatural that the writer and the director are the same person. I believe the only time that's happened before this has been with Eric Kripke. Um, and this episode originally aired on May 6, 2011. So I think that's also something to keep in mind. This was 12 years ago. So, goodness. 12? Yes. Okay. Oof. Oof. <laughs> it's a little while ago. So I'm just, I, I just, I guess I'd like to start off this conversation with talking a little bit about like your first impressions, like the first time you watched this episode, how you felt. Because I remember that for me, it was like this huge moment of like, oh, now I understand. Now I understand Dean. Now I understand Cass. Like there was just like this, Katie likes to call it like italicized O moment. Like <laughs> that that was what it was for me. And I'm kind of wondering if it was the same for any of you. Oh, absolutely. Um, I, I guess I'll just go first. Uh, I was, it was the moment, this is going to sound mean. But um, like Supernatural was hard for me to get into very like early on the first couple seasons. They're, they're just not my jam. Um, I, they, that was one of the reasons why I started like documenting it. Cause I was like, I have to get to the next episode cause I need <laughs> to watch the show. <laughs> but the first couple seasons just are, were, weren't more my jam. Um, season four was where it really like, was like, oh yeah, no, I get this. And then <laughs> this episode, was like when everything everything changed and everything was like oh now i understand now i'm in it now i'm invested in a way that i hadn't fully been before um i had enjoyed the show i was watching i was enjoying my time with it but then i was like oh now <laughs> this is when the brain rot starts this is what everyone was talking about when they were talking about supernatural brain rot and uh yeah and it was also the first time i remember watching it the opening sequence and at the end of the opening sequence there were tears starting to form in my eyes <laughs> and i'm not a person who cries very often and i was like what just happened to me what what is about to happen to me and what just happened what's going on i'm not okay what so yeah big 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 first big heavy impression of this episode I and also, <laughs> it was a, it's a Ben Udland episode, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Ben Udland was the first writer in the show. Um, it was very, the show was very interesting that it was one of the first shows that as I was watching, I could pick out who wrote the episode as I was watching it because they all approached the episodes very, very differently. Ben was the first where I was like, ah, oh, this is a Ben episode. And it was because <laughs> I knew it was Ben episode because I liked it. And that's and that was in the early season. I was like, oh, I like I really like this episode. This is a Ben episode. And then getting to know when I got here and it was like this massive episode that everyone always talked about. I was like, you have to get to the man who would be king. You have to get to the man who would be king. And I was like, I looked it up beforehand. I was like, I was like, this is a Ben episode. And I was like, I will like it. And then it was like, oh, no, this is a Ben episode. This is a Ben episode. So. So, yeah, that was first impression. I was just like, oof. We know what we're doing here. Applause. Oh, yeah. I truly, truly connect with that so much. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's nice to be able to trust the writer 
once you've determined that you trust them, then you let the story flow rather than go and brace yourself for being hurt or being disappointed. Mm-hmm. So. You trust them and they deliver. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So true. So I feel true. like my reasons are very superficial in comparison. <laughs> <laughs> go ahead. We His want to hear. hands were really hot. <laughs> that works with me. There. I mean, really it's a fair. valid point. So it's true. It's so true. Um, I think for me, like the the French mistake was my moment of like, <gasps> what is this? Because I loved the meta. Um, but this one for me, there were two different things um on first watch one was the cinematography was just so different from what we'd seen before and it was i mean the scene in uh in the park with the snow and the flowers is like iconic to me um and i remember seeing it and going oh my gosh this is so beautiful mm-hmm. and then the sea in the background and the fish pulling it up like it was just it was such different visual storytelling from what I had been used to in Supernatural and the contrast between the beauty of the surroundings versus the dilemma and the conflict that's going on within Castiel I found really striking Um, but then the other thing is like this is one of his most badass episodes (laughs) absolutely (laughs) like a period hands down ever and uh, he was just so, like, large and in charge for the whole episode. So um, so I really enjoyed all of the smiting and uh, the knocking demons down and all of that wonderful stuff. So um, so for me, it was very visual um, that, it, that it really struck me as well as, oh, hi, Cass. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Cass had his share of moments. Oh, <laughs> he sure <yeah>. did. <laughs> goodness kj do you mind if i call on you just absolutely um the very (laughs) first time i watched this episode i was in high school i think i watched this episode on my phone during like a spare period and i was not watching supernatural um with any real analytical thinking skills back then um i was very obsessed with grace anatomy back then um i thought i would be running a grace anatomy podacast right now i did not perceive (laughs) left turn that my life has taken (laughs) um but here we are (laughs) um but like that fourth wall break right before the title card where catholic fully looks at the camera and like talks to us is just insane (laughs) like um and i remember like the real like scene that like really made impression on me is um when Cass is watching dean rake the leaves and then like leaves him is like no we're not getting him involved (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah yeah because it's done it's done out of like care for him right and we'll get to that mm-hmm. but yeah it's mm-hmm. done out of care and out of love and um yeah it's kind of a, it's kind of an interesting one katie is there anything yeah. for you oh, that yeah. comes up well like it's just it's so evocative like the there's several things like the very first scene you see him sitting on that bench and he is so hunched over mm. like he never had great posture but this is like defeated like his shoulders are curled mm. towards his feet and it's just it's such a striking picture and then you start getting these little clips of 
the fish crawling up and and the thing about the fish the whole stepping on the fish is it like kind of galaxy brains the whole lore of angels because you're like whoa wait a minute so were you in some corporeal form when fish were crawling out of the sea like like i know you were there but Mm -hmm. you weren't just a beam of light you were in a like don't step on that fish means you were in some form right oh i mean that's the thing is that like you go through this whole thing and they just kind of allude to angelic Mm -hmm. practices and lore and this episode nails down a whole bunch of stuff that people may have headcanoned but you know now it's it's canon and Mm. so you think about that and then the fact that he's comparing all of these things like sodom and gomorrah the tower of babel and you know the fish cain and abel cain and abel to the winchesters Uh like you're elevating them to these epic historical biblical stories and even put he places them above them he's like all of that but the best one were the Winchester. And so, like, you see where his priorities lie. You see how he has placed that in the millennia he has lived. That this is the moment. This is the most important moment. And you see just how important these boys are, especially Dean. But he says, he calls them the boys, like, in the middle of the episode. And, like, yeah. it just, that just really struck me. I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, the boys. the boys. You know, but it's clear that... He cares about Dean, and because Dean cares about everyone else, he cares about them, too. It's a little bit more centered on Dean but right. throughout the episode. But it's just, it's so striking, and it and it just explodes all of this angelic lore that you're like, well, wait a minute. So that means, <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> so <laughs> that's mean? why it's such an important episode. Like, yeah. Past and heaven are so old and things have pretty much run without a whole lot of human interaction or seemingly any like God interaction for like a long ass time. And like, it's been like less than three years since Cass like pulled Tina out of hell. Like they've really fucked, like fucked, like shit up for heaven, like (laughs) in three years. Yeah. Can we curse on this podcast? Absolutely. Okay. We can. (laughs) But also, while we're at this moment, I'm also going to take a moment to think, like, the angels must have intervened with dinosaurs at some point. There's no way Cass didn't come down to hang out with, like, a brontosaurus for a little bit. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, so, like, dinosaurs, the connection between dinosaurs and, like, um, uh, it's a little stereotype, but a lot of people with autism have experience with obsession of dinosaurs, and there's heavy autism coding. Especially if you want to call episode. it coding, it's yeah. more, <laughs> more in more more very blatant, but uh, of cast in this episode, mm-hmm. which you know, I went through a phase. I don't know if anyone else, <laughs> <laughs> but I went through that phase. So, I I think you know, cast having a thing with dinosaurs fully falls in line. Yep. Okay, I'm seeing that a lot more now. <laughs> there you go. Oh, like of course you would bring up the dinosaurs. I love that. <laughs> I know what I am. <laughs> That's wonderful. So Drew, you're the one who's like seen it like you saw it last night for the first I was time. Gonna, I was gonna say I remember it like it was yesterday. Oh yesterday. This this is incredibly fresh. I've not even had a full twenty four hours to like wrap myself around it properly. Um 
but really I, I think everyone kind of hit on points that I was so in love with because it really was I, I truly understand that I am spoiled in the sense that I am watching the show with so many people who care about my viewing experience that I'm getting a much better view of it and this is why I didn't fall in love with the show the way I think I would have the first time but this episode, I think, like you said, JJ, would have been my turning point fully because mm. it really is the t- moment where we get to like learn and connect and feel and it's no longer just a monster of the week show. It is truly a dramatic story. It is like on the like levels of like a heroic journey with like emotions and stakes. Um, and to mirror the beginning of the episode, for me, I think the biggest thing, the thing that really like dragged my heart was the end of the episode. Mm-hmm. And Cass is sort of just, like, looking for an answer and not getting one while also doing some of the best editing I've ever seen on the show. It was so different than how they mm-hmm. ever... Yeah, the cuts they made and how he were he was talking before they cut. And, like, yeah, oh, it was it, like, really It striking. feels... It makes you feel disjointed. gives you, like... It mm-hmm. forces you to put yourself in his shoes where he's, like... The next thought is coming out is like already there before he even finishes the last one because he's just he's rambling for trying to find an answer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's very true, and I and that and I think like part of what makes this episode so memorable is is all is because it's such a departure from everything that we had seen before on Supernatural, right? Like, there's just a couple of things that we talked about, right? Like the breaking of the fourth wall, um, the fact that it's in Cass's point of view, the editing, the, I would argue even like the storytelling is different in this episode. Like, so yeah, it, it's just, I find it so interesting that for so many of us, this episode is so important and yet it's so different from the rest of the series. Like, I'm not too sure how to reconcile that. Like, is it because we would have wanted more episodes like that or is it, because yes. it was so different? Um, yes, yes, of course. We <laughs> <laughs> well, and it also, it serves such an important um, point for everything you've seen in the season. And like, we say, okay, when, when Kripke left and Gamble took over, right. and you're watching season six and you're like, what is happening? What's wrong with yes. Sam? And what are they, what are they talking about the souls? They're not answering the question. Like, as uh, like, other CW shows and Supernatural, they like to, they go at a rapid pace, but they, they really, they drop a clue. And if by the end of the episode, they're kind of revealing it, mm-hmm. you know, and then they move on. And it's not a monster of the week, but they, they tend to give you that satisfaction instead of leaving you scratching your head going, what is wrong mm-hmm. with my beloved Sam? What's going on with him? This is weird. And so... We always say, oh, well, season six hard, is hard because they were trying to find their feet. You know, they didn't really know where to go because they had this wonderful five season arc. And then they're like, where do we go from here? But really, this episode shows they knew what they were doing the whole time. They just weren't yes, going right. to tell you yet. Mm-hmm. So it's a very important episode for Cass's character, but it's a very important episode for season six to show Hey, we knew what we were doing the whole time. We weren't just flailing. Yeah. So I agree. And I actually like I made a list of things that were revealed in this episode because mm. we learned so much. And like I haven't rewatched this was literally the first time I rewatched a bunch of episodes together since the series finale. So it's been a while. Yeah. Um, but 
we learned out like we learned for the first time just how long Cass has been around um and yeah. and how long he's been part of creation we also learned that he rescued sam from hell yeah. and that he didn't know that sam didn't have a soul we learn that um it really leans into the belief that like god is somehow working through Cass probably possibly and that's something that like was kind of touched on at the end of season five but like this one really leans into that question of like how involved god was in that decision to bring Cass back and why mm -hmm. um and then we learn about the souls and why he's after all of the souls mm -hmm. and we learn that he specifically kept dean out of things to protect him mm -hmm. and didn't want to suck him back in um, so it's like, and, and we learn all about like how the war started in heaven and why it started and like what the motivations were for everyone. So there's just so much information re revealed in one episode. It's just like, poof. not to mention what's going on with Crowley and where right. Samuel, where Samuel Campbell came from. Yes. Yes. Like, Cause they're so like, Oh, like, I don't I know. He was stuff. back. <laughs> <laughs> this is why it's kind of, yeah. That's right. And it's just like a one-liner. Like, yeah. 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 I'll be honest. I have no recollection of them talking about Samuel. Can you remind oh, me? Oh, yeah. When they were in the, in hell, when they're all standing in line and he said, <laughs> well, we'll, we'll bring the Winchesters in to do this. And, and Castiel said, no, not Dean. Dean's retired. And he goes, oh, well, I know some bald guy who I can call up. I did. I, my brain. I just that line does not exist in my head. I believe you. But it's like, just I such a throwaway. It, it is, is such a throwaway. And you're throwaway. like, oh, Samuel Campbell. Yeah. 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 They knew what they were doing. How am I still being shocked by this episode? Twenty four hours later. <laughs> well, to that, like, piggybacking like off of all of what just happened, um, <laughs> I think one of the things about this episode is that so like it breaks a lot of the rules of the structure of storytelling mm -hmm. that, that mm. had been established in the show. Um, and if you look back through the past six seasons, the episodes that do that, the episodes that uh, break all the rules and change, they're all written by Ben Upland. Um, they're, oh yes. they're all written by him. You know, monster <laughs> movie is written by Ben Upland. Um, uh, oh, yeah. the earlier one uh, uh, that happens in season six that we, that's the big one where they the go French, with the, the metal French one. Mistake? The oh, French, French mistake. mistake. The French okay. mistake is written by mm -hmm. Bad Udlitz. Like, they're all written by him. And it's, I need you I, to change your little moniker down there to be like, Ben Edlund's never one fan. Honestly, <laughs> I might do that. Maybe in, after I, I finish this. Honestly, at the, yes. At the end, we'll all have it on ours, too. That is my goal at the end of this. I, I keep saying the moniker should be Ben Friendlands. Oh. <laughs> Perfect. Well, I think um, he would love that. But yeah. anyway. The uh, but I think the point is is that my, the point that I'm getting to is that in order to break the rules, you have to know the rules, and yes. you have to know the world, and you have to understand the greater the greater story that you're telling, and understand um, the purpose of the story that you're telling. Uh, and mm. he, I think that this episode really really showed how tuned in to what supernatural was what it wasn't and what it could be mm -hmm. and i think by breaking all of the it, he broke the right rules in the right way like this being the this is the second time i think we break the fourth wall the first time being chuck breaking the fourth wall the season right. before mm -hmm. that second time of like 
breaking the fourth wall and the direct, first time being direct address, like it's mm-hmm. like those small little changes of like breaking, um, breaking the rules. The 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 uh, the flashback. The story is uh, told like a memory play. It's a it's a yeah. memory play of an episode, um, which is not very common. It, we we don't do that in Supernatural. The way it's the first time that it's really from a perspective that isn't one of the Winchesters. Um, have it being from cast like just breaking all those rules at the right time in this overarching arc of a season mm. um like two episodes before we have two more episodes in the season we finished the first like you did the first arc of soulless sam and that ended at the halfway point you're moving on to the second half you're needing all of these pieces to come together and just and, and um you, all those dropped hints trying to figure out how do we tie up all of this together and how do we do it quickly? Um, giving it to Ben Unland and telling him, hey, write an episode where we break all the rules. Yeah. It's the... An episode that has some of the best lines of dialogue ever. Like, Absolutely. freedom is a length of rope and God wants you to hang yourself with it. Like... That's not something we hear on Supernatural, right? <laughs> like that that kind of like lyricism almost, you know? Mm-hmm. Like it feels like a Taylor Swift song. Like it does. <laughs> it it does. Really I does. love that line so much. I'm I swear I'm gonna have that tattooed on my body someday. I have it yeah. on the t shirt I'm wearing right now. I'm wearing a cast t shirt right now. Yay. I love it. Well it feels like it feels like the actual lyrics in the songs that are so important on the show. Like mm. thinking about just carry it, carry on my wayward son has incredible lyrics to them. Like they're very deep and very emotional and very lyrical and a lot. Like all of the music of these, you know, rock gods that they play and everything. The really really good ones and the ones that are really really embedded in the show are incredibly lyrical and are That's incredibly true. deep. And and they use that in order to tell those emotional beats without actually having, because you know men can't have speak emotionally but we can play some 80s (laughs) bangers (laughs) 70s bangers and tell the emotion that way um so yeah that lyricism and that's what breaking up that rule of we're going to tell this like emotional story through these beats of music the in the lyrics of these music we can just say it Mm -hmm. and be one of the really first times that you know someone takes hold and actually just says the thing instead of yeah I find that really interesting in terms of what it says about cat like you know both like Cass's masculinity in in the narrative but also like Ben Edlund's understanding of Cass's masculinity that he's allowed to say that. Mm-hmm. Well, ben Edlund's understanding of the masculinity in the show of <laughs> yeah. uh, of all three of them. Um I I I've always say those like uh, Sam and Dean are two sides of toxic masculinity the Mm -hmm. the the, uh two opposing like acceptable versions of man of like how how to be a man in society in 2005 like you know like from this perspective of Mm -hmm. in moment in time um and like that's where their flaws like certain their flaws come in sometimes their virtues like they're the two aspects of it um or the two sides of that coin uh and Ben, like this is this is really Ben. Me just going out, great, great of writer <laughs> Ben is. Um, him understand. He often would uh, be able to point out those 
point out those flaws or point out that aspects and have an understanding about why those things, why those aspects came to be, how they came to be, how they affect their lives. And what was great about Ben is he would either have them work on it in the episode and like make change and move forward, or he would set up a situation where they can't move forward and that detriments them later. And mm -hmm. which is not always the case in supernatural where often right. sometimes their aspects of toxic masculinity um are proven correct like are proven to be virtuous mm -hmm. or good for the overall narrative um and so with cast specifically you have this mat version of masculinity that doesn't exist like from the get-go is a challenge to the versions of masculinity that exist already on the show and right ah it just keeps it just keeps building yeah, for sure. For sure. I have a question. Oh. And <laughs> it comes with a caveat, as Mary knows most of my questions do, because I know you can't spoil me. <laughs> but I'm wondering, JJ, you pointed out that the only other time we really had a fourth wall break was when Chuck spoke to the camera, essentially. Do we feel that having cast do the same has a greater meaning? I'm not asking, like, do we find out in this next two episodes that he is the new god like we already kind of have that as like the going on but is this designed intentionally to compare cast to chuck in a way i i think that that is was intentional like i i i think it is i think it was it was a moment of understanding that the story because you know it that was the meta narrative was that you know or that version the first version of the meta narrative was chuck you know writing and being an author in some way um and communicating to the audience about the story right like this is a story that is happening um and so having Cass be the one to say this story has gone off the rails yeah I is that. really really effective about comparing what is who is running the narrative now um right and who is pushing and driving the narrative forward. And Cass, when he was introduced in season four, was a plot device and a character device in order to that love the little cameo. Yeah, Sorry. I, I love Zoom Cats. Thank you we so much for like, sharing that with us. Just like, oh, that was delightful. <laughs> um, uh, Cass was introduced in season four as this narrative, narrative driver and this character driver for and to rapidly develop Dean as a character um, and so his his really was a pushing force in those uh, last that last two acts of mm -hmm. the initial overall narrative and now he you have a plot driver and a character driver that doesn't a, a train with no tracks like he he is now an engine keeping this train moving with no direction and yeah. it was I think it's purposeful that he is the one to break the fourth wall because he's in charge and he doesn't know what to do. Mm. It comes back to like the title of Katie's podcast, right? We're making it up as we go, which is that moment that kind of broke the rails, in my opinion, right? Like that moment where Cass helped Dean to get to Sam back in season five. Mm -hmm. And what a what a mind fuck that was for Cass. Like, wait, right. we can do that? Yeah. You, and when he's trying to talk to his fellow angels 
in this episode they're like no 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 give us direction he's like no you don't understand there's this thing called free will it's amazing and they're like no we don't like that but just how much that impacted him yeah i think one of the things that we've talked about on on my podcast with krisha a lot is the idea of authorship and authority Mm -hmm. and so i think it's really interesting that um cass is the one telling the story in this episode um and i think that's um i think that is significant that he is the one who is telling us the story and it's the first time since chuck that we have had somebody directly addressing us in this way um and i think too um the way that it's structured so he's telling us the story and so i think they're they are seeing something about his authority in this situation but the text itself is a mishmash of confusion and conflict just if you look at it structurally you've got um the clear bookends which are nice but are full of questions but then you have the sorry my cat is totally adorable yes we can hear him purring ever so slightly and it's genuinely so soothing so i'm glad the asmr portion of the show Um, so then you have the, the structure of the, the rest of it, which is, um, present tense interrupted by past tense, jumping to, um, monologues where nobody can see him and he's telling us his innermost thoughts and they're intruding into the present day narrative. And so it's this mishmash of, um, different stylistic choices with the narrative and the the last part of it is unanswered questions. And so I think that um, it's doing something really interesting with the structure of it that's structurally sh- showing how Cass is in charge, but he, he is um, spinning out at the same time mm-hmm. and, uh, and really struggling um, with this role that he doesn't feel built for even though at the same time he's being told this is this is what you are built for this is what you should be doing so um so it's a really interesting device that I think is reflecting there if that makes sense (laughs) It, it, it absolutely does and I think one thing that's really interesting about that it's that throughout most of this episode anyway it's Crowley that's telling him you know oh this is why God brought you back this is why you're here this is your purpose and I remarked um slightly sarcastically I would I would say during our live watch that like it was interesting because for Sam it took Ruby a lot longer to convince him (laughs) that like that was his purpose right like in Mm. throughout season four but that cast kind of um was very trusting and through like what we're hearing Cass say he talks about pride a lot of the time yes and I just find that really uh Catherine something you said made me think of a question um so like whenever you watch this show it's kind of a third person you're viewing this as as it happens right but this Mm. episode Cass is the storyteller do we think he's a reliable narrator? 
That's oh. a really good question. <laughs> Drew, what do you think? Drew, Please like, give us your thoughts. <laughs> well, I was going to say, based on the answers to my last question, I kind of got the vibe that there's this really nice like division between Chuck, who is very clearly telling a story with a very clear like narrative, versus Cass, who is doing both this episode. He's telling the story in the past tense in his like noir detective style. But then when we cut to present day cast, he is like completely lost and looking for answers. Mm -hmm. So it it feels like if he's telling two stories, he's telling the version that makes him look good, even though it really ultimately doesn't because uh, he gets called out and caught. But the version that is the truth as plainly as possible that puts him in the best possible light. And then we see how much he really is kind of freaked out and panicked by it all. Mm -hmm. So I guess to answer your question, um, no, he's not a reliable narrator. I believe him, but I think he's skewing things a little bit in his favor here. Because as you pointed out, every time he messes up, he always goes, I messed up, but I did it for Dean. I messed up because of my pride. I messed up because I was forced to be in this position. It's always, but. Mm. And most people do that. I mean, ultimately, like when I, I was talking to my spouse, you know, the other day and he was irritated with me and I was like, I need you to understand that what I'm saying comes from a place of loving you and caring for you. So like, if that helps, mm -hmm. even though what I said upset you, I'm trying to love and care for you. So like him saying, well, it was because of my pride. I mean, he, this, this is just his confessional. So hopefully there he's being truthful because he's hit rock bottom and he's like, okay, I got to lay it all out so I can figure this out. And that's why it's so frenetic because he's like, well, because this happened. Well, so this happened, but, but this happened. And so mm -hmm. hopefully he is finally telling the truth when he's been lying this entire season. I love that I as a counterpoint. <laughs> yeah. I think another really interesting aspect of this that I'd love to hear people's thoughts on that I just noticed when I was watching this time is at the beginning, when we have that fourth wall broken, it's when he looks at us as the audience. And um, and so we're we're left like, oh, is he talking to us? Like, who is he talking to? Is it is it is it me? Like, and it's this really interesting device. And then at the end of the episode, you find out he's not talking to us, he's talking to God. But what does that mean about the audience interaction and like who is God and so I was really interested in like meta thoughts about that from everybody else mm -hmm. again if that makes sense you yeah, know of <laughs> course this is such a really good question because mm -hmm. as, I think as you were making your point I was like oh yes it's true and then at the end we hear like please give me a sign I need a sign right mm. um, and I have some thoughts about the sign but I I it, I think it's really hard for me to answer this question without trying to pull from future seasons. But I mm. think that this idea of like, again, uh, control of authorship and who is in control of the story becomes like the question of Supernatural, really. And I think um, the role of the audience with the control of that story is more and more clear as the seasons go on. I think the the meta narrative has you know 
was always started to like was like sprinkled in especially early on um and it seemed more like it often very often was a joke at the beginning yeah. very much was just like a way to communicate in with the audience in a way that was direct while also um you know could exist in the world and then it of course grew and grew and grew and grew because when you they've somehow were able to i mostly accidentally mo kind of on purpose uh set up this really beautiful conversation about like um where the audience is just as much of a uh impactor of the story as you know the characters are almost like a almost like a play um mm. where you know the audience really is interacting in a way and you know feeding to what is happening on stage or in the show and you know really interacting like in the french mistake misha texting and uh, <laughs> tweeting the yeah. actual tweet mm -hmm. the show the pulling of us in and making us a part of the story in a way with actual impact while also not trying to have us have impact as like trying to create a show and be creators and authorship and like we have 22 episodes a season and we have a deadline and you, you that's you don't actually have any power <laughs> also like drawing us into the narrative in a really really interesting way um but with... they also listen to the audience i mean they do the audience had a complete the no other show was like oh we can't do that the fans will freak out and you're like what do your show <laughs> we can handle it you know oh no they can't have a love interest right now because oh the, the fans will attack the actress mm -hmm. uh, wow <laughs> like... <laughs> yep. yeah death the actual well, there, there was a, there's a part that I want to add to that, but we can't get there. It's I know, I know. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's okay. It's okay. Just adds to the overall suspense. You have us back. All yes, the exactly. panel back later. There you go. I'm so down for that. 100%. <laughs> KJ, was... is, there, is there anything you'd like to add to this? Because I know. feel like I've never been so glad that I didn't just start talking and I had a chance to listen to what everyone else had to say. <laughs> Um, because I have so many thoughts about so many things, but <laughs> it's hard to put um, them together sometimes. Yeah, I totally just get like that. thinking back to like the last time that we were spoken to, which was Chuck, like that ended with Chuck saying like, yeah, endings are hard, but like things don't really end. And then we see Sam outside of Lisa's house. And then this episode, like one of the very first things we see is Sam outside of Lisa's house. Like, it mm -hmm. does kind of just pick right back up there um, with Cass talking to us, um, even though for us that was a while ago. Yeah, um, that's right. I love the way that they inserted earlier bits into this episode and then blew them up and expanded them. Yeah. I'm so glad that you brought up that moment because we get to see so much more of that moment in this episode. We get to see like that moment where Cass explodes and and then like he's not exploded and his thoughts about what happened. I mean, it, it just, it takes these moments and it visually takes us back into them and then it goes boom, like mm -hmm. more, mm -hmm. which is so exciting to me. What I find also really interesting is that this is the first time that we learned that supernatural lies, right? Mm -hmm. Like it has no problem lying to us as a show 
um, mm -hmm. in service of the story, right? Uh, so that moment of, of Sam standing outside of Lisa's house, we now see in a completely different way because Cass, I can't remember if there is a shot or not of Cass in the background or something, but like, yes. we, is, yeah. we, okay, thank you. But now we know that what we're shown isn't always what actually happens. And so I talk a lot about my distrust of Supernatural. And this is one of those things where like, oh, okay, yeah, you say this happened. I won't believe it until I see it. And even if I see it, I'm not sure that I believe it. <laughs> right? It's like, well, how much more do we need to zoom out to see mm -hmm, the full picture? Yeah. Literally, in this case. And one of your questions was, could this have happened in the Kripke era? And it's like, Kripke seems like a much more straightforward storyteller. Mm -hmm. And do... May, playing with all of this doesn't seem like his bag even though he did play with stuff with you know french mistake and he looks like he delegated that and you know changing channels and stuff like that but yeah. much more played for comedy mm -hmm. you know everything that's been meta has been since you know seems to be for comedy like even the convention thing you know when they had a convention at the hotel and they had a hunt there that was played more for laughs and this one was not played for laughs it was they you know they they really used all those tropes and said no we're not going to make them chuckle at it mm -hmm. and so if you look at like Kripke's style with the boys you know he's much more like linear and shocking and and not willing to kind of try to evoke some serious thoughts in his audience he's more like here it is so yeah that's right that's actually a really good point I think it's really interesting too, and I don't know if this would have been um, a thing that happened with Kripke, but the way that um, we move back and forth in this tension between um, everybody caring about Sam and Dean and everybody caring about Cass and then this connection between Cass and Dean that goes beyond that. And it kind of flips back and forth between the two things throughout, especially the beginning of the episode. And then towards the end, it's more and more and more like focused on the Dean and Cass relationship, which mm -hmm. I don't know if they would have gone into that. And this is the season, correct me if I'm wrong, where we have the, the profound bond thing brought up for the first time okay so i don't know if yeah. that would have happened during kripke and yeah. this is continuing to expand upon that and again blow it up like this whole episode is about blowing things up and like making it more right mm -hmm. um and you can see that um like sam says he would die for Cass, mm -hmm. but the only person who's consistently standing up for Cass is Dean through the whole thing, even though they're treated as the boys. And even though um, they're, it's always talked about in the plural by everybody else, it's the Cass and Dean relationship that really um, you get to see more and more of there's something different here in this episode. And I don't think we would have gotten that in Kripke. Well, and I'd put that in my notes that I said, this is post the more profound bond moment. So it's clear mm -hmm. that Dean is Castiel's person. He cares, you know, he cares for him more, but, and like, even the way they confront him, Sam is very angry and he's like, you've been lying to us. And Dean's like, Hey, look me in the eyes. Let's just, let's just talk. Let's mm -hmm. talk. 
you got to level with me, man, you know? And, and so this is much more like someone who you've had a deep relationship with who has betrayed you and you're like, okay, you're hiding from me and you can't hide from me. If we, if we really connect, you'll tell me the truth and I'll believe it. You know? I think that 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 really goes to the way that they show versus tell with Sam and Dean, um, which is an overall thing that happens in the show is that they often tell us about Sam, but then we what becomes really impactful is what they show us with Dean um, and the way that they show the relationship between Cass and Dean. When they do hit those moments of more profound bond, it makes sense and it hits really strongly or what you were saying about like the look and while Sam is, you know, or like all so much of the conversation and the interactions between Cassidy in this episode are just them looking at each other. And those are the really mm-hmm. impactful moments while you have Sam speaking. Um, I also think like that's why earlier in the season, you know, we, we always talk about like the jokes. I'm putting jokes in quotation marks for a reason yeah. about like Cass and Dean being a couple that are exist in the show. We have one between Sam and Cass in this season, and it doesn't land. Like the joke <laughs> doesn't work earlier this with Soulless Sam. It just it was like it. I remember when it happened. I was like, that doesn't work. That's not fu- that wasn't funny. No one thinks that. <laughs> no one thinks that. What? Why would you think that? And like, really break it down. Why? Like Cass actively was like rude to Sam earlier. Like in yeah. several scenes earlier in this uh this season the season before like why would we it doesn't work like that um so just like the way that they the show versus the tell and like sam has to say the words i would die for Cass," but with dean that isn't a question in the audience's mind about whether mm-hmm. or not he would because of his actions mm-hmm. and so it really becomes like while Sam is having that whole like confrontation and Dean is there, like Sam and Sam and Bobby are like speaking, but no one's focus is on what Sam and Bobby are saying. <laughs> Focused, even with the camera itself and yep. with such strong directing moment and you know cinemat- cinematography and Ben creating of this moment is he has this conversation happening of Bobby and Sam speaking, and the camera is on Dean, and it's just like. This is what's important. It's yeah. not what's being said. It's the showing of this, the relationship between these two, these two people. One thing that it, uh, that's both part of the dialogue and the directing here is when Cass says, I did this for you, for all of you, right? Mm. And it's that moment of like, oh, yes, for all of you. And this happens once again, I think, or before, and they're in the hospital room when Bobby's been injured. And um, he's like, for you for for both of you or something but the camera stays on dean and Cass. like you know that sam is in the background but like never is he ever showed like it's just oh yeah it's true sam is there too oh yeah we forgot about that and it sort of feels especially in that really intense moment when they've trapped sam uh, sam when they've trapped Cass in the holy fire like i always have to remind myself oh yeah it's true bobby and sam are there too because really like this moment is between Dean and Cass because he has stuck up for Cass so much throughout this episode that it it's really about like Dean's realization that something is going on and it's about that relationship specifically crumbling really or going up in flames however we want to see it right well, I, I feel like go ahead I feel like going up in flames is a bit uh 
I know. I just wanted nose. to get a reaction. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, it's the first time that uh, Dean has been wrong in the show. Mm. It's it's the first time in the Ooh. narrative of Supernatural that that Dean is wrong. Right. Because Dean in the earlier seasons is fulfilling all of these roles. Like Sam is the protagonist hero, like structurally speaking, he is the hero protagonist of the story. And he has to go through the trials of the hero of the protagonist. If we're talking about like the journey, he has to make the mistakes. He has to do those things in order to learn and grow and go through that. Like you could probably break down each season and each things that he does wrong. Dean is playing all these other roles. He's playing the Lancer. He's playing the mentor. He's playing the smart guy. He's playing the tough guy. He's playing the, you know, the older brother figure. Like he's playing, he he fits all these others roles to Sam's protagonist and in doing that he can't be wrong in the overarching narrative because Sam has to learn and Sam has to make the mistakes in those in those points like thinking about uh the whole Ruby situation thinking mm -hmm. about um even just the the going to hell and everything Dean has to narratively speaking always be right and so this is such a huge moment because Sam is always making decisions based off of what he believes internally. And Dean is always making decisions based off of a belief code. And that is instilled in him by John. More, this is, you know, generally speaking. Um, <laughs> and Cassis was the exception to that rule. And Dean was wrong. And so watching him have, like, this crisis of, crisis of faith. Truly. And then it failing him, like his faith failing him, is just a really powerful moment. And it allows Dean to become such a larger character. Because as soon as your characters can fail, then you have something interesting happening. And watching Dean fail in this way, or be wrong in this way, we've mm -hmm. seen him fail before in smaller, in other moments. But like mm -hmm. watching him be his entire belief system, like fall apart in that moment is it's similar really to powerful. on the head of a pen. When mm -hmm. he's crying in the hospital bed after yeah. he, you know, with right. Azazel, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. Azazel, yeah. <laughs> There's too many A demon um, names. <laughs> Alistair. No. Yeah, yeah I was Alistair. Just, I always have the two oh, mixed okay. up. <laughs> Sorry. I knew I got it wrong. I, <laughs> I totally, yeah. Yeah. Too many, you're right. Too many A names. Too many A names. Yeah. For the, especially um, for the demons. Somebody, mm. so they were talking about Bobby. Uh, oh, Bobby and Sam were there. There's a line that Bobby delivers when uh, it's the kryptonite scene yeah. Yeah. Mm. that um, comes off as extremely fake. And Jim Beaver is an excellent actor. So it feels like Bobby is like, and I don't know the exact word. I was going to look it up and I was like, that's going to take too long. But he said uh, something like, oh, I'm just totally beside myself thinking that Cass could betray us. And like the way it's delivered, I'm like, are you? Are you really? Because he's much more savvy than that. Like, he's always, mm -hmm. you know, and I'm like, are you just saying that for Dean's benefit? There you go. That's you what know, say. you're like, saying it... that to make mm -hmm. Dean feel better. Like, we, we know we care about him just as much as you do when that's not true. Because mm -hmm. Bobby, Bobby tr is treating him like a corrupted hunter, like someone who mm -hmm. used to be on their side, but they've they've went to the dark side. So they got to take care of him. But when he's talking to Dean, he's like, oh, no, I'm I'm just as heartbroken as you are. No, you're not. Yeah. <laughs> and the line doesn't come across as extremely genuine. I don't feel like. 
No, I agree. I remember when it came up feeling a little bit of that. Sorry, KJ, I cut you off. No, it's okay. It reminds me of like a parent who's like never liked your boyfriend and then your boyfriend turns out to suck. Like, like, well, if you think an angel is a a supernatural (laughs) creature, Bobby's never going to be super comfy with a supernatural creature. So he's finally Mm -hmm. like, eh, what did I say? (laughs) And like every other angel they've met has kind of sucked. Um, Mm -hmm eventually um so you know it wouldn't be out of out of the realm of bobby's like perspective to just be like yeah i don't fully trust that guy (laughs) he's been helpful but (laughs) i don't want to end the discussion with this so i want to i but i want to bring up there's one low point in this episode oh i feel like making the character ellsworth be an exact replica of Bobby. I don't feel like it landed. I felt like it was too campy. Like he had the bowls of blood and then he, you know, he's talking to them and then he answers the FBI phone and I'm like, and he's wearing the hat and the flannel. And I'm like, okay. The hat was a bit much. <laughs> it's a bit much. Like, what did he go study Bobby? No. You know? I believe that though. I legit believe Crow- <laughs> Crowley is the kind of person. You know? Who would like find a Bobby knockoff? Because clearly it works. <laughs> true, true, true. Okay. Well, I'm glad I, I brought it up because you made it better. I gotta <laughs> say to you, I'm I'm all for a bit of camp, especially in very serious episodes. True, true, true. <laughs> so like the the different bowls of blood. For me, I started watching Supernatural when it first aired, and for me, the turnoff point was when, um, oh gosh, not Ruby. Meg. Meg. Thank you. Um, <laughs> slit the guy's throat and then got the thing full yeah. of blood and started oh, get, way having. Back in the day. <laughs> yeah, like way back in the day. And I was like, nope, I'm out. That's a little too dark. Um, <laughs> so the fact that it's the same setup here and it's freaking <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> and just like on the phone with these different demons. I, I loved it. And I was, I was down for the camp. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, that to me, like, I, I get where you're coming from, but that to me, like I said, is very much the, it's Crowley sense of humor almost. It's true. <laughs> I also feel like it's kind of a, because this happens like within the first half of the episode, let's say. And it's like, oh, oh, we're in for like one of the funny episodes. Oh, this is what it's going to be. And then like the second mm-hmm. half is absolutely emotionally devastating, particularly I would say like the last third of it. And true. so it's, I, I thought it was a fun way of like, again, tricking your audience lying like and mm-hmm. i'm using very strong words but like lying to your audience or like hoodwinking them a little bit and to say like mm-hmm. oh this is what you're getting no 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 this is not what you're getting look at what you're actually getting i feel like ben edlin was sitting there writing that and like buck lemming dropped in and they're like you know it would be funny <laughs> <laughs> and he's like all right god you get one funny in my emotions <laughs> I'm not against it, but it, just to, to, I just want to bring it back very briefly to like um, Bobby and Sam, because like it, it really does feel, especially because we've just watched like the, the episodes that come before this one. Right. And there's like a lot of like, I don't want to say coddling of Dean, but definitely um, wanting to preserve him because they're like, 
oh no like don't worry because they know they need him on their side otherwise like he's just gonna pray to Cass and Cass is just gonna show up and he's gonna be like oh by the way do you know what these two think so they know that they have to be really strategic about how they approach him and again I think that speaks to the to the bond that that Dean has with Cass because it's not like we there's nobody else like that and there's not they're seeing it it's not just us seeing it exactly Mm-hmm. Everyone knows. Everyone in the room knows. And I really, th- sorry, oh. go ahead, please. I was just gonna say it was like it, it's in the story. You know, even at the end of the episode, Cass goes back to Dean at the end of the episode. Yes. He goes back and pleads again, like, mm-hmm. and just the the way that that's the final beat um, of this of this story. You know, of where. You, he brings it back to this relationship and specifically Dean brings it back to the relationship and goes, I am asking you yes. not to do this. Mm-hmm. And that whole moment, and, and just to do it because I am the one asking, do not do this. It, it's just a really, the, the story is built in a way to show that this is the important relationship and this is the thing that is crumbling and this is the, this is the conflict of the whole season is their relationship. Mm-hmm. What's that saying? To... Ought to have the confidence of a mediocre white man. Like he's <laughs> asking these cosmic beings to do his bidding and to do what he wants them to do. And they're like, he said, Dean, it's not broken. Like you don't get it. Shut up. You haven't been where I've been. You haven't seen Raphael. You don't know the threats that are being made. And Dean's like, nah, I think mine's the right path. <laughs> Who be fair to Dean? Dean has done this to Cass before, and Cass has done it. Yes! I keep going going back to the, you know, it's one of my favorite scenes, when Dean asks Cass to portray heaven for the first time. And Cass is literally like, I cannot. The wrath of heaven will come down on you and me and everyone around us. And Dean was like, no, 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 you got to trust me, man. I know what I'm doing. And Cass just has to stand there and go, you know, Maybe if does. this were to happen, <laughs> I can't stop you. No one could stop it. And that's why I can't help you. Wink. With the side wink. eye. And they're in pink and blue lighting. Hint, mm. hint. Oh, good Lord. Oh, no one. Mm, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it just, just to Dean's credit about that he has done it before with cap and it has worked it's true true. and like i think that i had a few thoughts about that last that last scene with them and one of them was just um good lord can those two learn to communicate with actual words and complete sentences and thoughts that drove me like they interrupt each other like Cass is saying like it's for you but he's not explaining like the scene with the rake in the garden and how he wanted to save him and protect like if you would just explain and if Dean would just listen and not interrupt you and call you a freaking child like That like I was I was literally as I was watching that scene getting so frustrated with both of them. I to that communication point, yes. bringing back the thought that I had <laughs> earlier about the autistic coding of Cass in this episode. Mm. That last scene very much reads as two people who maybe one is neurodivergent, maybe one is not. Maybe two people are neurodivergent mm-hmm. ways, but it very. I, when I first watched it, I was like, oh, this is an autistic person trying to communicate as best as they know how 
to someone uh, to someone who is neurotypical which we could talk about dean being neurotypical another time like not really <laughs> but this scene specifically right and the the miscommunication and not taking this both of them not or the not the not taking of the steps to reach that point of communication mm. because they're saying the same things to each other yeah Cass is saying i am doing this for you do this for me like they're they're talking straight past each other mm. um and they're coming from the same place emotionally about wanting to keep each other safe and wanting to do the right thing and trying to get through this problem but they keep talking past each other and it because of the earlier points in this episode about Cass and how they have framed him in this episode and the autistic coding of his character that moment hits at to, to me it hit in that way of um the two styles of communication not uh not meshing mm -hmm. that way I've got to say, if somebody called me a freaking child in the middle of a conversation where I was being very earnest, I would have a difficult time engaging meaningfully with them after Someone whose entire life is such a small fraction of yours, like, uh -huh. super old. <laughs> and he had like just 35. called him a baby in a trench coat, like, yep. two yes. episodes ago. <laughs> he was that, so mad about it. That infantilization, though, of yes. uh, autistic yeah. people and mm -hmm. the way that they they think and communicate, I, it just it was just like ah, I was like <laughs> I didn't know. <laughs> just yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, that's that's a really good point, and um, I hadn't thought of it that way before. So thank you. Yeah, thanks for bringing that up. You know, mm -hmm. just to kind of come back to Cass's pleading about like, you know, give me a sign, give me a sign, give me a sign. And then one of the next things we see is Dean being like, please don't do this. There's a part of me and I, there's a part of me that's like, maybe that was your sign, Cass. Well, he's the righteous man, right? There like, you go. Yeah. Drew, you need to watch the next two episodes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going, I'm going, I'm going. <laughs> Everyone hit, hit pause, wait an hour, I'll be right back. <laughs> Talk amongst yourselves. <laughs> we would, we absolutely would. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't doubt you guys to keep something for an hour while I go watch the episodes. Can we talk about that, like, that turn in the conversation, though, when when Dean is like, you know, if you don't stop, I'll, and, and Cass is like, you'll what? Mm -hmm. And, and then he's like, I'm an angel. You're just a man. And it, it was such a like, Ooh, especially because earlier in that same episode, Crowley, like it, it says, am I the only one who doesn't underestimate these guys? Mm -hmm. Like, and he lists off all of these people who have underestimated mm -hmm. Dean and Sam um so for for him to pull that at the end of the episode it was this really interesting contrast and the temperature in the room just changes I was really interested in hearing people's thoughts about that moment well Cass has been talking about how pride is his downfall the whole episode and then does not does not take that warning to heart mm. Notice, I want to point out two other times that he's like um, flexed the fact that he's an angel. First of all, with Sam, when he says, will you, boy? Yes. Um, and then yeah. in this episode, he says to Crowley, I'm an angel, you ass. 
But then to <laughs> Dean, it's much softer. Mm-hmm. I'm an angel. You're just a man, you know? I think what's really interesting about this line is that the delivery and the the reception are like on two different planets because I can imagine Cass being like, what are you going to do? I, and he, I can totally see Cass just stating a fact mm-hmm. and the reception of it on Dean's side being like, absolutely devastating because it shows mm-hmm. again that like, it, it, I think it would make Dean question how Cass perceives the relationship and if mm-hmm. he values it mm-hmm. anywhere near as much as Dean does. Um, and again, we're going to be seeing that a lot uh, well, over the next few seasons. <laughs> so I, I I think we talked, I talked about on our podcast, Mary, when you talk about like power and control and like who's above who. Right. And, um, you know, I've always talked about like in my job, my boss is above me, but he does not know how to do my job at all. And so I have the knowledge And so he always has to come to me and be like, well, how would you do this? And what would be the best way to do this? And so we're on much more even footing because he has to defer to me with certain Mm -hmm. things. And so if you look at like Dean and Cass, Cass pulling rank and saying, I'm an angel and you're just a man. They had such deep respect for each other and care for each other that they were kind of on even footing. They put each other's Mm -hmm. opinions and powers or abilities on even keel and then he's suddenly like what are you gonna do mm-hmm. and it's like oh oh so you've just squashed me in this whole thing right and that again i think speaks to the reception of that comment from dean because i'm i i don't know if that's what cast truly is i mean maybe it is i don't know i feel yeah. like it is yeah, i feel yeah. like it's a reminder like mm-hmm. Know, know your place in this mm-hmm. moment. And it's really interesting because just prior to that, he's been talking to Dean about like, you're the one who taught me about free will and freedom. And that's when Dean cuts him off with that childish, like that your child right. comment. And so he's just been deferring to him and the way that Dean has impacted him and Dean like cuts him. Mm-hmm. Like he doesn't let him finish the thought and the thought is you're the one who taught me everything I know and has has led me on this path to try to lead everybody else into freedom and free will um despite a different level of power right right right. and and so Dean cuts him down and I think that's Cass pulling the same thing and Mm -hmm. and flipping it back on him and saying, oh, so you're gonna you're gonna cut me off and try to infantilize me? Well, I'm an angel. Mm-hmm. It's you're really just a that, man. It's really that point where like you start to lose the argument, you start trying to you, you start losing right. face in the argument, and you have to start pulling for the cheap shots. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it like you're trying to get your point across, and the other person is making perfectly valid arguments back to you or like meeting you. And you suddenly go, like, I have nowhere else to go. I need, like, a way to win this. And you pull out either Dean's calling of Cass a child or Cass reminding Dean that he is merely a mortal compared to his angelic status. Mm-hmm. Which we've just been told is, like, ancient, ancient, ancient. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, mm. 
Well, I think it also is what the two of them are, their goals of these conversations are in the pulling of, in the pulling of rank and just in the history of the two of their relationship. Like Cass comes into this conversation being like, I'm here to make you understand like my perspective in this. And Dean has no interest in that aspect of it. His goal in the conversation is to change Cass's mind. And so when you're coming at it from those two like those cheap shots that you're talking about and like going after uh, each other or like trying to have an argument. It's like their, their goals are just um, one is trying to have an emotional, like play emo play on the pathos of the situation. And the other is trying to, I, th I think Dean literally says, I'm not going to logic this out with you. Yes. Yes. Something like, and Cass is there to logic it out, like to, to, get him to the point where Dean is on board one way or the other. Um, and if we look back at their relationship, it's not the first time that Cass has pulled the power card. Like first, one of those first conversations that they ever have in Bobby's kitchen where he like pull, like pushes him up against that counter yep. and they have incredible tension of some sort <laughs> i'm not going to label it you certainly well, can if you'd like to but whatever uh, well i just think about you know when in that bones episode where like the earthquake happens and booth just pushes <laughs> brennan up against the wall to make sure she's safe yeah i wonder if those things have anything in common <laughs> you mean those two shows that were airing about at the same time that were incredibly mirrored with one another in terms of the relationship <laughs> i don't know whatever Poor i'll let you go on with your points <laughs> The the three Fs, if two people get close to each other, they either have to fight, fuck, or flee. Like if two people get close, they they could fight. They're definitely saying words that might indicate a fight. But whenever that happens, it's usually the other. Uh, and so anyway, or you know, uh when Dean tries one of the several times of this show to bring an end to his existence in a certain mm. way. And Cass just comes over. is like, I did this all for you. Punches him, throws him up against the alley. That whole scene. Like, Cass has very often shown his, like, physical ability to just, just, like, completely annihilate Dean. And also make the bigger sacrifices in a lot of ways. Like the whole point when they're trying to rescue Adam um, in the locked angel box. And the only person who can get into that angel box is Cass. And he's like, uh, this is probably going to be my end. And I'm doing this. Like, I will make that sacrifice. Like, I, I rolls up his sleeves, does the whole, carves the thing, does the whole thing. Like, his, Cass has constantly proven his ability to go further in a lot of ways that Dean isn't always necessarily willing to go for anyone but himself or but, but for Sam. Um, right. And so, and, and Cass's ability to go for the bigger picture, like he will make those, what, that's what I'm the point I'm making. He's making those sacrifices a lot of time for the bigger picture while Dean is doing it for personal emotional connections. Um, and so that, that pulling of rank, I think is something that Cass is like, we have history about this. Like I am an angel with incredible power and it's manipulative as all get out that he does it. Mm. But, uh, that, that's something that is a, in the history of their relationship as well. And I think, but this is the first time that he just flat out, like maybe mm. not the first time, but he states it 
in this moment while in other moments he's really kind of like shown it Mm -hmm. something you said about how dean's only willing to do that for sam it's not necessarily in this episode but just overall um it reminds me of a parent you know it's kind of like i'll do whatever it takes for my child and i love you partner or you know relationship that i'm in but it can't supersede my child Mm -hmm. you know and so yeah he has a priority that's anchoring him to being a little more cautious and that's what parents have to do they they're not it's not about them anymore We've managed to tie it back to Dean's parentification. I love this. I love this group. (laughs) This is great. (laughs) Being a parent? News? Interesting. (laughs) Never heard of that. (laughs) Oh, goodness. Is is there anything else that we haven't brought up so far that you'd like to talk about? Can we just talk about some of our favorite lines? Because there were so many good ones. Yeah, of course we can. <laughs> I'll I'll start because I have one written down. Um, explaining freedom to angels is a bit like teaching poetry to fish. <gasps> That's a good one. Isn't that a great line? That mm-hmm. one stuck with me like outside of the episode. And it just, it encompasses so much about mm-hmm. the struggle that he's going through as he's trying to lead these angels on a on a different path which they just haven't been built for mm-hmm. um and all that it, it encompasses um and it's a very poetic line itself even talking about like with it's talking about poetry but it is itself poetic so um yeah. that's one of my favorite lines and there are so many good ones between Crowley and um and Cass in this episode like and yeah, I'm just nightmares yes yes that was good that was really good what was crowley's last line after Cass had already left uh, after like throwing him against the wall like breaking the wall i feel like he has has a last line that was just i can't remember what it was but i remember laughing so hard at it we'll have to look it up and insert it (laughs) yeah there you go i think hold on what what was it um let me see if i can well glad i came you're welcome, by the way. You know the difference between you and me. I know what I am. What are you, Castiel? What are you willing to do? Oh, also, yes. Yeah. Is it that one? No, but oh. it's, it's uh, yeah, that's a different one. But that's also amazing mm-hmm. because he knows his role. Like, mm-hmm. like Crowley is is like, yes, I am the king of hell. I am remodeling hell after my own image. Like, see the changes that I've made. <laughs> see my so ambition. Much. See the photo of me on the wall with my little pitchfork, like, <laughs> on my shoulder. Um, <laughs> so it's really, it's like this amazing moment where he's like, what What are you? Mm-hmm. And, like, Cass can't answer him. Yeah, mm. that's such a good one. Oh. For me, though, I think it's really just it's 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 the fact that there's two of them in the episode and they are so diametrically opposed, but it is two of the most like amazing looks. And the obvious one is Dean's look of disappointment in cast as he puts two and two together with the kryptonite line, mm. where it's like you just you it, like it's such it's so clearly in focus, but it's such a powerful and emotive look for all of like the second he's on camera. And then also to go back to hell, 
it's it's cast distractedly looking at the portrait of Crowley behind him while Crowley's talking. Because <laughs> it's a very clear, like, like <laughs> stare at it for a moment going like, oh my god. <laughs> and I just think to get both of those amazing looks in an episode on such different parts of the scales just says so much about the way the show is put together. Absolutely. Yeah. I... I have said before, and I will say again, Jensen Ackles is the king of micro-expressions. And yeah, that was definitely on full display in this episode. Definitely. Uh, To your line question about like any particular line, um, mine has to be, let me tell you my story. Let me tell you everything. Mm. That Mm. line is... What that was the line that when I first watched it, I was like, "Oh, oh," um, and of course, it's with that whole moment of him looking up in the camera and the smartest choice of having him in the correct lighting to make Misha Collins's blue eyes just, yeah, boom. I mean, the man's got some some pretty blue eyes, and they just went. They made it the whole screen. I was like, "Ah, oh, yes, great choice." Yes, um, very. See them turn the contrast up every once in a while. (laughs) Yeah, turn that contrast up, throw that filter on. We're just going to make a boom. Um, Which also just makes the whole kryptonite lines and the Superman comparisons later. Yeah, no, even more so. Um, But just the line of let me tell you my story, let me tell you everything. Um, So much of of the perspective of the story up until this point being the story of Sam and Dean and Cass being the past coming in later of course and like him integrating into the story um let me tell you my story like having this moment of just like opening up the world so much and then let me tell you everything about mm-hmm. what we were talking about throughout the, sh- uh, the throughout this being like all the secrets that are revealed what gets blown up what um what gets shown from a different perspective what moment are we bringing back from an early earlier moment and showing almost the exact same scene two inches to the left um mm-hmm. I think that was just such a smart way. And like we, we've used the word confessional we've used um, in this. Uh, just uh, the fact that, you know, Astiel in a season of hiding things and in a season of jumping in and out and clearly there's something more going on. Let me tell you everything is just such the attention grabber. And it's so smart and so pointed. Um, and then, of course, that's when you have cut. <laughs> and yeah. it's like, perfect. That was great yeah. structuring. Let me tell you everything. Yes, tell me everything. <laughs> Commercial break. <And> you're like, less <laughs> <laughs> that I'm watching this in the age of streaming. <laughs> Very true. And no seasonal breaks. Oh, goodness. Oh, I can't imagine. All of the people who watched it live from the beginning are remarkable humans. I couldn't have handled it no me neither honestly mm. i found crowley's line by the way after uh after cassiel <laughs> gives an amazing line which i will read which is the i'm only gonna say this once if you touch a hair on their heads i will tear it all down our arrangement everything i'm still an angel and i will bury you mm. to which is this amazing moment casts a few more internal monologue lines before the scene ends and Crowley dusts himself off and just goes, this is not how synergy works. Because <laughs> <laughs> he's so, like, it's a business plan. It's a buzzword. 
It's a buzzword. It's a business plan. This oh to him is, is purely a business dealing. <laughs> That's amazing. Yes. Love Very Crowley. much so. I love Crowley so much. My oh favorite my line is is an exchange uh, when uh, Dean, you know, it's the crack. Dean finally gets through to him. And, you know, Cassiel saying it's complicated and Dean saying, no, actually it's not. And you know that. Why else would you keep this whole thing a secret? And then he makes it a we. Mm. He says, when crap like this comes around, we deal with it like we always have. What we don't do is we don't go out and make another deal with the devil. So, again, like, we're a unit. This is what mm. we do. You're part of our team. Mm-hmm. We do this. And he says, it sounds so simple when you say it like that. Where were you when I needed to hear it? Mm. I was there. Well, not... Where were you? And he literally was there. He was there raking mm. leaves. Yeah. He was, he was raking there. leaves and Cass refused to pull him in. Well, that we has always been Dean and Sam and it's never included Cass before. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's maybe a little unreasonable of Dean to assume that Cass knew that he was included in that we. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's Which a really brings... interesting thing. He brings up at the end calling him like a brother. At, in that final scene, in a, the very emotional, manipulative moment, he's, he waits to then, you know, use that kind of familiar language um, mm-hmm. in order to try to convince him or manipulate him uh, back to uh, this moment. But also um, to the the need for family, the rejection of that is almost like the confirmation that this is they're not they're not brothers in this moment like this is not uh to the that's not how this relationship functions mm-hmm. and it's definitely not how relationship functions um for Cass in that moment and so like i think it's really interesting that they they bring it up and they they mention it kind of a few times in the show this existence mm-hmm. of this like really what the what defining what the relationship is between Cass and Dean um but like this is a moment where Cass actively rejects that classification um, because Dean is using that classification to manipulate him, which is, mm. I think, very, very interesting in their overarching, I'm going to use the word, romance. Um, yeah. Well, it's conditional versus unconditional. You know, we have some family mm. family issues that, you know, people make it clear that their love for you is conditional. And it's, you know, and we, you know, as parents make it clear that, no, 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 I unconditionally love you. There are no conditions attached to the love I have for you. And he's saying, you were like a brother to us if you followed what we wanted you to do. Now mm-hmm. you're not. Yeah. Well, you were manipulative. like a brother to us. You've had yeah. your brother card revoked. Yes. Right. <laughs> yeah. But it's very much like, if we're, if we're going to go there, it's very much a breakup scene. Mm-hmm. Um, 1,000%. That- that end thing and I think it's really interesting because we've talked about um I think we touched upon it earlier the the jokes that are not jokes um and we have one of those in this episode where we're talking about like where Bobby is talking about Superman gone dark side Mm -hmm. and Dean says to Sam that makes you Lois Lane and it's this really interesting moment right because he feels the need to verbally like he's thinking about it <laughs> yeah. and he's telling Sam, um, you're Lois Lane, which means mm. 
not me. Yeah. <laughs> Which is what Dean always does, always mm -hmm. deflects to Sam in these situations, right? Like we've seen him do it time and time again as jokes mm -hmm. throughout the series so far. So yeah, when he's so clearly Lois Lane in this situation. I, exactly. <laughs> and but literally, like nobody out like my brain didn't go there. I wasn't thinking, well, then who's Lois Lane? But mm -hmm. Dean is. <laughs> Dean well, is. Dean's yeah. Padme to Anakin. Don't go where I can't follow. <laughs> You're breaking my no. heart. <laughs> no, Dean, Dean, Dean has... I mean, Dean has more emotions than Anakin, which isn't saying much, so. <laughs> no, Dean's Padme. Castiel oh, right. has Sorry. more emotions. Oh, yeah, which is Does also he? not saying much. <laughs> oh. it's, a tight, it's a tight battle there, actually. Yeah. <laughs> but I, it was interesting because I watched uh, a few episodes leading up to this episode, so I kind of remember where we'd been and what had just happened. And the number of moments where there are these, like, jokes that are... Um, that are really now, like now it's just awkward, like watching them and going, um, but like they're really pointing up that there's something more here. Mm -hmm. And so I thought it was a very interesting moment that that Dean felt the need <laughs> to say that. And Sam's just like, whatever. <laughs> exactly. And again, this, this dynamic of Bobby and Sam not responding to that, like, again, yes. protecting him and being like, ah, yes, okay, we won't say anything about that. It's fine. And if you've watched the past few episodes, like bef from before, they do that repeatedly, where they're like, maybe you should make the call, you know, like just a couple episodes ago, I think in Frontierland, mm -hmm. um, you know, maybe you should make the call. And it's very like, just, it's just a suggestion. It's an invitation. It's fine. Again, everyone in the room knows what's going on. This is a safe space, Dean, if you want to tell us anything. Right, exactly. You don't even need to say anything. Like, it, it's okay. It's fine. This episode, when they pray to Cass, uh, Sam tr tries first. And when they don't get a response, Dean immediately uh, tries. And then when Cass still doesn't show up, Sam just like kind of like gives him a little pat on the shoulder and then it's like, let's do some more because we don't have, you don't have to think about that too hard. <laughs> well, I, this is the best the jokes, uh, which thoughts I'll get to some more thoughts on the jo jokes in a second, mm. but like the jokes always should have like a kernel of truth to them. Mm -hmm. So if we keep making these jokes, there should be some truth to it. Um, Though, of course, then you always have to ask, like, who is the joke for? And mm -hmm. what is it? What is the good joke? What is the what is the actual punchline? Which often the joke that they are trying to make is gay is funny uh -huh. at coming from a completely, you know, mm -hmm. uh, a presumably at this point, mostly straight writers room. I, I, I we, we do get some queer writers a little bit later. Oh, but yeah, um, yeah dang it. I spoiled something. Spoiler. <laughs> No, it's uh, something to look forward zone. to. Yeah, a little something to look forward to. Uh, mm -hmm. But, like, what are those jokes? What Like, the jokes are always, almost always, oh, it's funny because that's gay. Mm -hmm. um, but then again, if it is a joke, like, what what is funny about that, I think is really interesting in how we reframe it watching back and mm -hmm. watching from a full perspective and over, over time and everything. Um, I also think about, like, the time that this was released. Yeah. That was really really the height uh like probably around the first like five six seasons was really the height of like the conversations around like um 
that was when the Hillary Duff, when you say that's gay, do you know what you say? Stop mm. the hate. Like those were the the height of those those conversations and that changing of <laughs> the memory you just unlocked for me there. Oh my god, I can't remember those. Yeah, that was the those came out um I think in 2007, 2008, so like the early season 3, season uh to yeah, around that around that era. And so like and these were the conversations happening in schools about like uh you know, like little middle schoolers and early high schoolers having to have conversations about the rights of queer people in their classrooms like that was when that was really really you know blowing up and so Mm -hmm. a lot of these jokes were active involvement in those conversations and very clearly taking a side Um, yeah they're grown men hanging by this just clawing to keep those jokes like no you're not going to change us Mm -hmm. oh yeah you all are squawking about it but no these are funny god damn it (laughs) exactly and so then like looking back at it post all that um what is what is you know uh, perceptions of media change over time about how people watch it and what people draw from it mm-hmm. and uh, we talked about this before when we I was on last time talking about post convention Denver 2021 yeah. um, about the viewing Dean in this queer light and viewing mm-hmm. those jokes alright if the kernel if this is you're going to make these jokes this is a kernel of truth and that mm-hmm. there is truth to this and the reclamation of this character in this story like being an active form of rebellion against you know a, a homophobic society and a homophobic perspective of writing mm-hmm. um and how this episode really also was like a turning point in the like the legitimacy of this interpretation and how this was if we, going to some fandom history uh about like you know when Death's DL became like real, real, like real, mm. real, real, you know, this came out in 2011, height yeah. of, you know, you know, right, right before uh, the 2012, you know, Tumblr boom, yeah. you know, when it, if we're going to talk about like how it became like a cultural moment, like a internet cultural moment, it was right around in this moment and right after this episode, because it really legitimized a lot of what was already happening in the earlier seasons and um and that re- re- reclamation of these this story and the truth that comes out in this episode both during the time and as we look back that was a really complicated way of <laughs> getting to my point i hope that made sense no i right. followed it sweet cool <laughs> <laughs> this episode was important if you didn't get that aspect <laughs> of this, <laughs> at this point <laughs> Honestly, when it comes to the jokes now, the way that that I look at it and the way that I I, I talk about it with Drew is like, you know, if I saw this playing out, we had this conversation recently about like the casket out of my ass line, right? Mm -hmm. Like if I were to see this play out in my daily life between two people that I knew, I would just be like, oh, oh, okay. There's something going on there. I'm just, (laughs) you know, I'm just going to look away and, and whatever, like this but I'm going to take it seriously. Like to me, it's not like, I no longer see the joke. I just see like, oh, this is humor to deflect, right? That that kernel of, of truth, like we're deflecting from it and we're going like towards um, trying to make fun of it, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think it, it speaks to the fact that um, 
there was an active conversation happening about these two characters and what they were to each other. And somebody felt the need to address it repeatedly (laughs) Um, and keep deflecting, as you say, um, which ironically only serves to underline the very thing that they're trying to deflect from. Mm -hmm. So um, it's definitely, you know, like, as I say, nobody else is thinking about Lois Lane in that moment, but Dean is. (laughs) So his brain is going there. He's processing thoughts that speak to his state of mind and where his focus is and where his mind is going. And, um, and it is a very different, it is as it's interesting that you say uh, in terms of this being a turning point, JJ, like it is a very different kind of joke from casket out of my ass two or three episodes earlier. Um, and I think like my, my final thought about all of this is that he ends talking about how it's a tragedy, right? Mm. And all I can think of is romantic tragedy (laughs) because you're seeing the disintegration of a relationship happen in real time. And so I think it's interesting that Cass names it as a tragedy um, and then sort of like deflects from it a little bit himself and is like maybe from a human perspective, but I think the human perspective might be important. Like, I don't remember exactly how he phrases it, but um, but he names it as tragedy in this episode where it's been very much about the relationship between these two characters and it and it falling apart. So mm. my brain went, oh, romantic tragedy. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, if I can answer your question from earlier about my favorite line and, and again, yes. tie it with this idea of like <laughs> the final the final thoughts about this. Um, Katie and <clears throat> Katie and I are like, you know, on the same page when it comes to that, because my favorite is I was there. Where were you? Because it it reminds me of arguments that I've had with romantic partners um, yes. it, without necessarily using those words, but just being like. I was there with you when this happened. Like, how can we have such different perspectives on this? Or how come you didn't lean on me? How come this, like all of those unanswered questions, usually that come near the end of a relationship. Um, So yeah, I agree with the romantic tragedy reading. Or how many romantic tragedies have have used those specific lines (laughs) in other media? I don't know. And just, you know, I'm also pretty sure Bones uses it at one point just to yeah, bring that think, back in. Like, I'm pretty they sure do. they have an argument about presence in each other's lives, Absolutely, you know, when one of them disappears to South America. Um, it's a it's a bit of dialogue to remember, just saying. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It's definitely in the long game. Let's put it that way. <laughs> yes. Uh, there is... Oh, oh, go. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so many scenes just flashed in my mind. Um I do have a final thought for Drew to like think about maybe in the next two episodes for like watching the next two episodes. Lay it on me. And going forward, uh, it's, this is okay. I'm gonna say the question, but it's a little bit deeper than what I. I the question is: Is that whose side are you on at the end of the episode? Are you on <laughs> Cass's side? Or are you on Dean's side? If you had to make a choice, who um, gets you in the divorce? Who get, <laughs> yeah, who gets you in the divorce? And why? And, and the reason why I ask that is because this is the first time in the show where 
it's not uh, not everyone, but in conversations I've had with other people who've watched the show, this is the first time where they're not rooting for Sam and Dean. That they are actively rooting for another player mm. over in this story over Sam and Dean. Um, and maybe you are, and you're still wanting, of course, Sam and Dean to, like, uh, succeed, of course. But, like, in who are you rooting to to be right in this situation? And what does right in this situation look like? Um, and I, I love your smile <laughs> at that question. Um, but, yeah, who, who gets you in the divorce? <laughs> Uh, I mean, to answer that part first, I would run away with Uncle Crowley for a little bit to let everyone cool down. <laughs> oh, incredible, incredible. They would cool Uncle Crowley for a bit and de- decompress. I didn't know there was a right answer, but I just heard it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just going to harvest eggs all day? Do you want caviar? I'm, I'm so proud that I earned that one. Um, <laughs> and, you know, you bring this up and it never really occurred to me to pick sides, but... I mean, Mary can can attest that I have been referring to this as kind of like the potential of reaching a like cast villain arc where he would kind of become the villain. But he never, he isn't, he doesn't. He's just viewing a problem from a different angle. And I mean, I agree with Dean in the whole like, you shouldn't be partnering with the devil and doing what the devil wants. But at the same time, I'm also understanding Cass has reached like I feel like he's reached a limit and like the only way out of this is going to be magical mumbo jumbo TV writer make something magical happen that we couldn't have predicted with Dean and Sam somehow but like from where they're standing right now I think Cass is right Mm. sting Interesting. Interesting. The big smiles on everyone's face is just so <laughs> telling. You can't talk about anything. Oh, you can't talk. Oh, I'm so used to it. Don't worry. I'm so but... glad that there are other people who share in my pain. <laughs> um, yeah, no. I see. I, I think that's what though, that is really interesting, though. Like, back to Ben Udland. Who would have thought I would have brought it back in the la- like <laughs> rounding it out? Um. Ben Udlin's ability to write a the episode that is incredibly that shows so much of Dean's inner perspective and at the end of the episode you're not rooting for him and that's not the goal the goal is to I think Ben's goal was to have you be rooting for cast in this episode um, talking about this again like a memory play the whole point of a memory play is often to show horrible choices and make you empathize like have you empathize with the horrible choice and then make you think about why you empathize with the horrible choice or make you see that people are making the absolute best choices that they can in any given moment. And what are the consequences of that? Like memory plays are so powerful in that way. And like the, about the unreliable narrator, uh, unreliable narrator. That wasn't right either. <laughs> you guys know what I'm saying? We know, we know um, it's fine. Uh, but yeah, Ben Udlin's ability to make you tear more about another character besides Sam and Dean is really, really powerful and a really, really powerful tool. And what are the consequences of that moving forward in the story and how the writers continue to approach that and um, what the audience, how does that feel as an audience member for these two characters, like Sam and Dean, these two brothers, these leads of the show, like the center point of it for six seasons for you not to to make them not want to, win to make them want to be wrong like mm-hmm. that's such a 
That's such a powerful writer that can do that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Katie and KJ, do you guys have any final thoughts that you'd like to share? I do. Yeah. <laughs> do it. Um, people who are listening to this maybe aren't super familiar with me. Um, I'm a Jess Dale Shepard, but I'm like, Sam's my favorite character in the show. And like, that's not always like the most popular choice. <laughs> Um, but I think about Sam a lot. Uh, and yeah. I think that Sam and Cass um, are similar um, in a lot of ways, and especially in this episode. Um, they both have this like desire to like make Dean proud, and they often have good intentions that, you know, their way of getting to those good, like working through those good intentions uh, ends up being a problem for everyone else. And um, in this episode in particular, uh, they they have the same kind of fatal flaw which is like arrogance and pride and sam mm -hmm. just had a whole like pseudo villain arc where he like went down a dark path and he tried to explain how he ended up there but it was never shown the way that this episode shows Cass's motivation um like there's that one episode where sam explains how he ended up sleeping with ruby but it doesn't really like go through the emotional stuff that Sam was going through to get him to that point. Yeah. Um, and like my my favorite line I think from this episode is from Crowley where Crowley says, I know what I am. What are you Castiella? What exactly are you willing to do? Because Sam and Cass have both they both operate under like this very strong belief that they're doing good and they're right and everyone else just doesn't understand what they're trying to do. And sometimes they are right and sometimes they're not. And like when at the we get to the end of the episode and Cass is like leading with God for a sign he's like but if there isn't a sign then I'm just gonna do what I think is right it's not not even caring that Dean has already asked him not to do it yes exactly like he's asking for a sign but then when something that could easily be interpreted as a sign comes to him or he it's literally goes he to, to seek it out exactly <laughs> it's not what he wants to do so he's just gonna do whatever he thinks is best that is such Sam and Dean energy though <laughs> I learned it from watching you. <laughs> he was looking at the wrong one, Katie. <laughs> the one time he wasn't paying attention to Dean. One time. I will say also, um, like Dean brought up like when like they were like in a really bad place, like uh Cass was on their side, and the reason like that has like stuck with Dean so much is because Cass just like beat the shit out of him and it was like I rebelled for you. And I'm like, Cass try hitting them again like i'm not really one for like violence but like clearly that message stuck and whatever you're trying to do in this episode dean's not listening well dean being a masochist and all yeah <laughs> it's also really like such a testament to like their relationship um cass and dean that like cass does go back to dean after and is like just hear me out and like listen to what i'm trying to tell you because Clearly, Sam is going to be more empathetic to someone who's trying to do the right thing and gone down a path that's maybe ill-advised. Like, that is something Sam just went through not that long ago. <laughs> um, I mean, he's a little bit mad at the moment about the whole soul thing. But, mm -hmm. like, I just feel like he would be more willing to hear that out and, like, hear Cass out. Um, Sam does tend to listen a little bit more sometimes but like forecast to not care about that and go to dean is just like such a testament to like how much he cares about what dean thinks and how much he wants dean to understand him 
Okay, so I'm sorry, but this is bringing up like a, a thought. I'm so sorry. <laughs> like, because we're we're starting this episode with with Cass telling us the whole story, right? Telling us everything. Um, but then he goes to Dean to try to do the same thing, right? To try to explain himself. Mm. But I, I really like your, your observation that you're saying that he would have been heard had he gone, or he would have most likely gotten hurt had he gone to Sam. So maybe the goal wasn't to be heard. So then what is the goal of speaking to the audience? Is it, is it a confessional? Is it an argument? Justification. To- is it, it, what is going on here? Who is he speaking to really? He's speaking to God, he's speaking to, what's going it's on It's a shower here? argument. It's oh. the argument you have in your head in the shower afterwards, all the things you wish you had said but couldn't get to. <laughs> this is him post failing the conversation with Dean, rehearsing what he wished he had said to him and regretting not getting out. Stop it because now I'm thinking of the unreliable narrator and I'm like, did any of that actually happen? <laughs> No, but I mean, it that, did. It did. Don't, let's not go there. <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness! I would cancel this episode. This yeah. episode. I, this episode <laughs> happened twice. <laughs> oh my goodness! Well, I mean, no episode of Supernatural has a reliable narrator. Like the Ghost Facers effect exists. Yes. And- yes. Another Ben Edlund episode. <laughs> So just real quick with Ben Edlund, like I, I really want to know the inside baseball of how he was able to write the episode and direct the episode. Cause that's such an anomaly. Mm-hmm. I, are there any other episodes where I, uh, the person who wrote it also directed it? The, I the, think I know just of. Eric at the end of season four. And that's cause Kim Manners right. oh, died okay, yeah. before they filmed mm-hmm. it. Like oh, he yeah, would have directed yeah. it otherwise. That's the, I wonder if he like pitched it. He convinced them. He was like, "This is what I want to do, and I have a vision, and yeah. let me do it." So, that's interesting. Well, I mean, when you write a script like this, it's, yeah. it's you know that that's a vision. <laughs> it's yours. That's Hand it over, vision. and you're like, "Well, actually, I'll just do it." <laughs> I'm just imagining him trying to explain to some like one-off director uh, what he wants, and the director just being like, "You do this." Yeah. <laughs> it's like when you're doing a class project, and this one colleague has like a very a vision right of where they're going with something and you're like maybe you should just take on this part of the project like and robert singer's like well i'll direct it but then it's like no please god no. <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness thank you so much all of you for 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 hanging out with us this evening for taking so much of your time out of your day to to talk to us about a supernatural episode we so very much appreciate it um yeah, thank you. Thank you so so much. Thanks for having Genuinely, us. this has been such an amazing. I, I'm so I'm so happy to have this little family formed around my infantile viewing of this episode. <laughs> mm. Uh so thank you all for coming along and making this what was already a very emotional journey a much more complete one. Would you like to let us know where we can find you on social media? Katie Oh, yeah. Um, I am on Twitter. Uh, on I'm Dusty L. Cannon. Catherine? Um, you can find Krisha and I with our podcast on at the fangirlbiz, B-I-Z or B-I-Z. Um, and I'm under at Catherine in NB if you want to check out my stuff. JJ, you're on TikTok. 
I am on TikTok and Twitter <laughs> at yes. JJBWay Watch. Um, and I'm scattered. You might come across me on a podcast somewhere. I'm scattered around places. <laughs> and KJ? Um, yeah, I'm uh, at SBN Opinions KJ on TikTok and at SBN Opinions Pod on Twitter. And yeah, podcasting everywhere that podcasts exist. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we'll have the details of that all in the show notes as well as in the YouTube uh, description. Uh, so once again, thank you so much. You've been listening to Carrying Wayward, a supernatural podcast produced by Rochelle Castellano, hosted by Drew Schulman and myself, Marie Vigou. Thank you to everyone supporting us on Coffee or Patreon, and an extra thank you to our Bunker supporters, Katira, L, and Jeremiah Thomas. This week, we'd like to thank all of our guests for recording this episode with us. You can find the links to everyone's social media accounts in the show notes, and we highly recommend that you take some time and go follow everyone. And if you like Carrying Wayward and you'd like to support our project to go through all 15 seasons of Supernatural, you can support us through Coffee or Patreon, and you can find those links at carryingwayward.com. Everyone want to say it with me? <laughs> Carry <laughs> on, our wayward friends. <laughs> I never <laughs> Yeah, I know. I was like, I'm just not going to allow for this. (laughs) But at least we tried, and that's what counts. (laughs) Just like Cass. Aww.